Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is Monday, February the 6th, 2023. I've always, I've always had the intuitive sense, I guess all senses are intuitive, to get to the heart of the American riddle, of making sense of America, one needs to understand two pieces of its infrastructure, uh, healthcare and education, the college system and the healthcare system, which is sprawling and complicated, but very interesting. Um, a couple of weeks ago, we did a show with Do Dr. Robert Pearl. I think he's one of America's most interesting thinkers on healthcare. He used to run Kaiser Permanente is an insider, also the author of Uncaring. And in his analysis, and it's well worth listening to this show from a couple of weeks ago, he suggests that, Amer that the American healthcare system um, contains all the worst aspects, I think, of everything. Bureaucracy, monopolies, inefficiency, corruption. It's not the free market ideal that its supporters or defenders present. And this is a theme that's come up time and time again in the show. Uh, the American healthcare system reflects all the, the most profound injustices um, and all the dysfunctionality of American society and of its economy. Stephen Barushka, for example, was on the show suggesting that America needs a Sputnik moment. I'm not sure whether that's a, uh, a carefully thought out phrase. He has a new book out, Inequality Kills Us All. And then, of course, we've had Tom Hartman on the show, a very prominent um, radical radio personality on the shameful history of American healthcare. We talked about his book, The Hidden History of American Healthcare. Um, and we are continuing that conversation today um, with my guest, Sonali Kolkatra, uh, uh, who is like, um, uh, like uh, Tom Hartman, is a very prominent uh, radio personality in the progressive community in America. She has a really interesting piece out. She is a, a self-described, well-rounded troublemaker. She also has a new book coming out in the summer, which I want to talk about uh, when it comes out, Rising Up, The Power of Narrative in Pursuing Racial Justice. And she's joining us today. Uh, Sonali, thank you so much. Where are you talking to me from? I'm in Pasadena, California. But ah, lovely. Just down the coast. I was just down there at the weekend, actually. So oh, okay. uh, would you agree, Sonali, with me that if we're to make sense of all the, the absurdities, the hypocrisy of American quote-unquote free market capitalism, uh, it's best done through the prism of the American healthcare system? Definitely. I mean, that's one of the... Uh, entry points, I think, for a lot of uh, Americans who begin to question whether our capitalist for-profit system is working, because we all need healthcare, right? It's not like um, asking somebody their opinion about the stock market. Um, you may choose to have investments, or you may, or may not realize your retirement is invested in the stock market, but you need healthcare. And most Americans realize that uh, they have to worry about 
uh, premiums and deductibles and and uh, co-pays and the cost of prescription drugs and start to question that, especially when they need it the most, why is it that health insurance plans don't come through? And that is if they're even lucky enough to have health insurance. Many of them wait till they're 65 so they can get onto Medicare. And I think more and more people are wondering, well, why, if the government can have a plan that's a national health plan for those of us who are above the age of 65, uh, why can't we extend that to everybody? Um, so yeah, I think it's a really useful prism for a very, very clear view of how broken our capitalist system is. Healthcare is one of those things that we shouldn't, you know, we, we should absolutely insist someone ought not to profit off of. Right, and it's, you know, the old narrative about the profitability and exploitation is given, but what Pearl says, which I think seems to me as just a healthcare user to be so true, is that the privatized, quote unquote, privatized American healthcare system combines all the worst aspects of a, 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 a monopolistic uh, economy rooted in inefficiency. It's not about it's not about the market. It's not about innovation. It's the reverse. Uh, would you so so in in terms of your analysis? I know you had this really interesting piece. America want government run healthcare. Do you think people Americans are beginning to see through the inefficiencies and the monopolistic nature of the American healthcare system? I think we have to ask ourselves why would. Uh, for-profit corporation be interested in delivering health care to begin with. If their goal was to provide efficient health care, then it definitely begs the question of, well, what, well, it's not actually efficient, and why is it not efficient? But actually, their goal is to make a profit. When you look at it through their lens, they're actually quite successful, right? If you want to maximize your profits, you have to minimize your costs. And if you want to minimize your costs, you have to ensure that you're spending as little as possible. If you have to spend it to provide people with healthcare, you're going to fight to limit those expenses. You're going to fight to limit how much you pay your nursing staff. You're going to fight to limit how much you cover of any particular treatment that a patient requires. So from the perspective of corporate for-profit healthcare, it's working as it's intended to work. But from the perspective of is it delivering healthcare, absolutely, it is incredibly inefficient. But the, the free market crowd, the quote-unquote neoliberals, the freedmanites, if there are any left, would, would have always argued in that Hayekian tradition that the market encourages efficiency rather than inefficiency. And it seems as if, at least according to Pearl, who's an insider and has really looked at this with a great deal of care, it's doing the reverse. There's no efficiencies. Uh, in the biotech industry, for example, when it comes to pharma, um, these companies are producing uh, pharmaceuticals that are, are exorbitantly priced so that no one can afford them. God knows who's eating those prices, but ultimately everyone is ripping everybody else off. Absolutely. It's a massive grift, right? It's a, it's a system designed to encourage grift. And I think that if you 
look at it from the perspective of the myth of free market capitalism. It is one of the great myths that the market creates the most efficient way forward and that bureaucracy and government, you know, government intervention creates inefficient bureaucracies. If you want efficiency, the market will naturally, and there's all of these sort of aspects that are usually projected onto free markets, that they're somehow natural, that they're somehow, if left to their own devices, going to find the path of, uh, greatest efficiency, the shortest distance between two points to achieve anything. And we've seen, I mean, I don't know how much more evidence we need that that's simply not true. The economy is what we make it. If we, as in people, design this fictional system, this economy, um, we can design it to benefit uh, 99% of us, or we can design it to benefit 1% of us and ensure that everything flows to the top. I mean, just look at Elon Musk and Tesla cars, right? He's been promising us efficiency and efficient, affordable electric vehicles. Um, his, he's <laughs> look at look at look at how efficiently he has run Twitter. If you look at the, this goes into what I've written about elsewhere, which is the myth of the billionaires that they must be billionaires because they're really brilliant. Uh, healthcare must be efficient because it's uh, you know we must be getting the most efficient. Yeah, no, I take your point, Sonali, but there is a difference between Tesla, which whether you love it or not, whether you like Musk or not, I mean, it, it's an innovative company. It's produced, it, it, it's enabled the breakthrough of electronic vehicles or Amazon, which is a very troubling company on many fronts, but has also innovated. And the American healthcare system, that's like a Soviet bureaucracy. I mean, it's I think- It's defending its own little niches in the market. I take an issue with Amazon being efficient. What has Amazon done? Just to not not to go too far well, off. To be fair, look, I've I've written whole books against Amazon, but okay. <laughs> Amazon has enabled people to get stuff overnight that historically they would never have been able to do. They've but changed the, the world that, for better or worse. They it works with Amazon. You don't when you order something from Amazon, it, it arrives. It works now, right? It works in this moment because it's it's just decimated its competition now. Sellers have to go through Amazon Marketplace. And Amazon is going to, you know, privilege those people who's or those producers that can afford to advertise. At, at some point, it's going to be what we saw with big box um, bookstores driving independent bookstores out of business. We're going to lose it all. We're going to end up with these hulking empty warehouses. Right. No, no, I agree with you on that sense. And, and, and this winner-take-all digital economy creates new monopolists who turn who turn out to be profoundly conservative. And, and the, the issue with healthcare is there are certain limitations. Healthcare is not a product you can put on a shelf and deliver, you know, uh, to someone's doorstep. Healthcare is not something that you buy when you have money. Healthcare is something you need when, you know, you're basically your health is screwed. And so often what ends up happening is in our current system of, of American healthcare, and I point this out in my story uh, that I wrote about healthcare, we have these critics of single payer or the national health program. Um, they are critics who are worried about the fact that more and more Americans want, as the Gallup poll suggested, a nationalized healthcare system. And so they try to tear down what they see in other countries where there's a national healthcare system that works, for example, in Canada and in the UK. And uh, I pointed out there was one uh, conservative critic of the Canadian system who said, who pointed out that uh, that healthcare in Canada was uh, free at the point of service, which, in her opinion, 
resulted in demand being sky high, as if people were lining up to get free service because it was available. Oh, you, you don't show up to get a cast on your arm unless your arm is broken, right? Healthcare is not a luxury. Healthcare is something that we absolutely, it's a necessity. And it's a necessity that arises when you can't often predict. You don't plan on getting cancer. Um, and there's another aspect of this story that I didn't cover in this article, but I've covered elsewhere, which is that our government can provide free care when it chooses. When there was an emergency with the COVID-19 pandemic, all of a sudden, Vaccines were free. All of a sudden, testing was free. It wasn't the most efficient system because it was done very quickly. But even the government of Donald Trump decided you can't charge people for COVID vaccines. If people got sick with COVID, technically, treatment was free. There were few people who had trouble accessing care, but they made a point to offer free treatment in principle. So if you got COVID and managed to survive it, you were lucky enough to not be charged money. But if you got cancer during the pandemic and didn't have health insurance, you would have to pay out of pocket. Or right, maybe and, uh, the, 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 the ironies are absurd. I mean, Thomas Pynchon couldn't have made this stuff up about uh, and, and you note this in your piece, uh, American exceptionalism in one heartbreaking, grotesque tweet about when you get shot at one of these mass shootings and then the healthcare system doesn't come through in terms of providing you support. Perhaps talk a little bit about that, Sonali, because I think uh, uncovering that really does reflect just how absurdly how tragically absurd and absurdly tragic the system has become. And this is part of the conservative culture wars, which I think is also important to intersect into this. I think a lot of people think that the social issues don't uh, count when we are talking about the economy, but they absolutely do. Uh, Republicans and conservatives love to distract us with these ideas that every American has the right to own uh, a firearm with as few uh, regulations as possible. They do not apply that same principle to healthcare. You do not have a right to healthcare in America, but you have the right to own a gun. Um, you have the right to be able to carry that gun. If you talk to conservatives, they would agree that you would have the right to carry it anywhere on airplanes, wherever you want. And uh, never mind that those who are then the victims of your crazed um, outbursts with weapons do not have the right to get free treatment. Um, to, to be covered by it. And that is terrible. Um, I pointed out the fact that one of the victims of the California uh, mass shooting, we had a number of mass shootings. Yeah, this was the Half Moon Bay one. Uh, yeah, we um, for, Tragically, we lose sight. And you know, every week there's a new one. So this yeah. is the Half Moon Bay Half one from a couple Bay. of weeks ago. And one of the victims, um, when he was, uh, um, you know, when Governor Gavin Newsom of California reached out to him, he said that his main concern was, being able to get out of the hospital as soon as possible so that he didn't run up a giant hospital bill. And that is just, it's terrifying to think about that. It's, and it's infuriating. Right, and it's from Christian, uh, Christian Christensen, the United States of America in one tweet, get shot in a mass shooting, go to hospital, try and leave early because the debt would kill you instead. Complete and have a perversity. I think people could think of Absolutely. other words. And I think what's really, really remarkable, and this is where I think it's important for us to focus on what's what's um, positive about these glaring hypocrisies we're seeing is that especially young Americans are seeing through them. I'll give you a personal example. I have a 15-year-old son who's unfortunate enough to be flat-footed. And, uh, you know, I had to tell him just the other day very casually, oh, yeah, let's buy you the store-bought uh, shoe inserts. 
uh, because those are 20 bucks. And if we and, and our insurance doesn't cover the custom ones, which are going to cost 250 bucks. And he was just like, how dare they? He was so angry. And we got into this whole discussion about why American healthcare is the way it is. And increasing numbers of young people in particular are identifying a socialist because they see that it makes only makes sense that our tax dollars go are given to the government in order for the government to then use them to take care of us. I mean, that is that should be the purpose of what our tax dollars should go to. If uh, Democrats and Republicans think that that's socialism and think that that's evil, we have so many other things that we can point to. Is Medicare socialist? If so, then let's have it for everybody else. If it's not socialist, then let's have it for let's have healthcare for everybody else. I mean, there are so many places in which we have socialist uh, projects public education, libraries, uh, police, policing. Uh, but somehow those are the exceptions and healthcare extended and covered by the government for the rest of us is seen as, as wrong, as evil, as a slippery slope to communism. But Americans are seeing through it, young Americans in particular. I mean, just a majority of Americans, whether, you know, of all Americans want government run health care. This is a big failure. Right, well, this was the point. And this was the point you, you cite the... Uh... You cite the Gallup, the recent Gallup poll, 57% uh, say government should ensure health care coverage. 53% uh, favor health system based on private insurance. 72% uh, of, of Democrats, 30% of Republicans support government run system. It's interesting you, that we use the Gallup poll because we had the CEO of Gallup on the show, um, John Clifton, recently, actually at the end of January. He has a new book out called Blind Spot, The Global Rise of Unhappiness and How Leaders Missed It. In his book, he talks about the rise of unhappiness because of hunger, loneliness, and misery at work. But I wonder if we could add the fourth category, at least in the United States, which is healthcare. It's such a miserable experience, any kind of interaction, either as a worker. I mean, this is Pearl's book, the point of Pearl's book, Uncaring. The culture of medicine is killing both doctors and patients. Everyone is miserable. It is true. And, and medical bankruptcy is one of the biggest sources of uh, financial stress for Americans, right? Medi the, the idea that you have to mortgage your house uh, or use up your retirement or your kid's college savings in order to pay for treatment that you didn't realize your poor health insurance plan was not going to cover. It's also the reason why so many Americans are stuck in jobs that they hate um, because they might be getting their health uh, care through their jobs. And by the way, that intersection is something that we should be constantly questioning. Why should Americans have health care linked to their jobs? What does your employment have to do with Health insurance, it should be completely delinked from that. You can make a case for retirement benefits, but why should healthcare benefits be linked to employment? And it is what keeps so many Americans trapped unhappily in jobs they Right, hate. and not only that. I mean, uh, of course, Sonali, uh, the great, unfortunately, departed uh, anthropologist David Graeber had a term for that, bullshit jobs. Yeah. Uh, and that reflects both why people stay in bullshit jobs, but also this so-called privatized, bureaucratized private health system is creating incredible amounts of bullshit jobs. Every time you have to call your insurer, every time you have to call your doctor, there are people 
this is like a, 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 a it's like being in the world of Gogol or Dostoevsky of these of these minor bureaucrats who have no idea or interest in what they're doing. So we have the worst of all systems. Absolutely. The administrative costs alone eat up so much of the money that that we put from our pockets and from the state into healthcare. And there are studies that show that if that if you did away with those administrative costs, a single payer healthcare system would be far more financially efficient because you wouldn't have those middlemen, right? And you wouldn't have the profits as well that that shareholders are expecting to get paid dividends from. Um, and so suddenly you would have much more efficiency and you'd probably have staff that was a lot happier, your nursing staff, your medical staff, your doctors and physicians and surgeons would be a lot happier. Um, and uh, all of those administrators could get retrained to work for the government to help dispense healthcare via the government. I mean, there is a way to do this. It is achievable, but we absolutely need to make enough noise to demand this. Um, the problem is that we've got this congressional gridlock and the problem is not just that the conservatives are very clearly never going to let us have government uh, sponsored healthcare, but that Democrats themselves. Right. There's something wrong with. Uh, yeah. And I think I, I want to talk to you about this because this is the, the core problem. Um, we did a show uh, back in 2020 with the Princeton University historian Harold James, in which he compares the decline and corruption and inertia and paralysis in America with the death of the Soviet Union. Uh, are we living in the, the end days of, of, of American democratic capitalism, uh, Sonali? Is this really, in a broader sense, the crisis? I mean, the problem is that we have these two parties that one of which is very clear about what it wants to do and where it wants to be, which is a Republican Party. Of course, they sell their agenda to their voters in one way. And then you've got the Democratic Party, which can't figure out what it wants. It pays lip service to uh, fulfilling people's rights. It pays lip service to having uh, a fair system. And then it remains completely beholden to our capitalist system. And that actually, I think, encourages internal um, gridlock within the Democratic Party. And so you've got two wings of the Democratic Party. You've got the... the so are you articulating, I mean, I'm not sure I necessarily agree with that analysis, but are you suggesting that the, the, the Bernie Sanders wing is correct and that the, the Democrats need to be much more outspoken in terms of their critique of democratic capitalism? I mean, if you've got... The Democrats could could be true to their own stated platform. They often capitulate and bend over backwards to not live up to their own platform. So yeah, absolutely. You've got so who would be a model? I mean, you, 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 know, you, you, you have your Rise Up podcast. Uh, Rise Up is your brand. Uh, it's a wonderful thing. Uh, you've got the book coming out and I'm going to have you back on the show to talk about that. Who is the politician who is most able to articulate your vision of, of rising up? Surely not old Bernie, who's just a bit of a gas bag. I mean, look, if, if Bernie Sanders is not the social media star for 2022, you, you could argue. Then again, he's been consistent. And when you ask him to speak on issues, he's not hypocritical. And that goes a really long way. A lot of young people, more than we'd like to admit, go for him. But he he's, doesn't have to be the only option. You could put him aside and say, okay, he's just 
uh, crotchety, you know, senior. And he wants to return. I mean, do you remember that famous debate he had with Hillary Clinton when he kept on going on about Denmark and Hillary said, look, Bernie, I love Denmark as much as anyone, but America isn't Denmark. America needs to innovate. It needs to establish some sort of model which combines social justice and efficiency, doesn't it? It doesn't seem as if there's anyone in the Democratic Party even articulating that. I don't think we, you have to reinvent the wheel, though. I mean, if, you, if we want government-run health care, start expanding the age that you become eligible for Medicare and start doing it gradually and start uh, expanding the government health infrastructure to, to make it happen. You don't even have to get into Denmark or the U.S. or socialism or whatever. I mean, going back to your question about, you know, who besides Bernie Sanders, there's a whole wing of young people of color. AOC is one of them. Ilhan Omar is one of them. Cori Bush, uh, you know, Giovanni Williams. There are so many young activists who have actually infiltrated the Democratic Party right now who are, who are articulating what a lot of Americans feel right? Uh, poll after poll, like the Gallup poll, uh, shows that Americans want progressive change. The ones who are articulating those progressive changes aren't Nancy Pelosi. They aren't even Hakeem Jeffries. It's those uh, people who are identifying as socialists. It's AOC, right? So they are there. But you see over and over again, folks like Nancy Pelosi undermining that bold agenda uh, but it's the bold agenda that Americans, I think, are hungry for. Look what happened when the Republican Party decided that um, it would throw its weight against someone who was, I don't mean to make any equivalence between Trump and, and, and AOC. But when you see, when voters see a party taking a bold stand, it wakes them up. It makes them think twice and it, it engages them in the civic process. There are Democrats who could do the same thing um, if they weren't getting undermined by the leaders of their own party. Sonali, you've used the, the S word, socialism. Is socialism an alternative to capitalism? Can you have, shall we say, a, a, a socialist-tinged capitalist system? Or do we have to really profoundly reform capitalism and perhaps invent some language to describe a post-capitalist world. We've done a number of shows on this with I mean, environmentalists, social yeah. activists. Um, I'm not an absolutist, right? Like, I, it's, it doesn't have to be a all or nothing, uh, all capitalist or all social. We already have a socialism-tinged capitalism. As I said, public education is a socialist program. Medicare is a socialist program. We've got public libraries. Publicly funded infrastructure and care is what some might deem socialism that's that's a that's sort of tautological or semantic i mean fdr or 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 lbj created those they weren't and that's right if that but see re republicans see that as socialism right a government providing care from the tax dollars that are paid toward if that is socialism fine if we we don't have to live the way that we're living right now our current our congressional representatives could regulate capitalism much more than they are right now. In fact, we could simply replace some of the deregulate. We could simply um, undo some of the deregulation that has been done. We could start taxing financial uh, transactions. We could uh, restore the corporate tax rate. All of those incremental changes to undo the damage that's been done over many years would take us so much further 
And then we can talk about whether socialism and capitalism, you know, is better or worse. Let's just start re-regulating capitalism the way it was 50 years ago. That would be progress from where we are now. Well, Sonali, I think you're convincing a lot of us to rise up. Um, before we end, perhaps you might give us a, a, a brief appetizer of the book. It's out in the summer. Yeah, we'll have you back on to talk about the book, but just give us an idea of what it's about. It's, it's published by... Um, City Lights. Uh, uh, yeah, by City Lights book, of course. Uh, City Lights uh, publishers, City from the City Lights bookstore in downtown San Francisco, where I live. So it's a, it's an exciting project. Maybe we can do something live at City Lights. But tell us about the book. I'd love that. Yeah, uh, it, the, it, the book takes on what's called narrative work. Um, narrative change is what uh, people are increasingly seeing as a way for us to start having broader conversations. We need cultural shift before we can have policy changes. They go hand in hand. So intentional storytelling is what I take on in the book, specifically when it comes to racial justice. I critique Hollywood. I critique our news media. I point out how independent filmmakers and storytellers and media makers are the ones that are furthering racial justice by simply casting people of color as full human beings who are complex and whose na that narrative work uh, can and must go hand in hand with policies that then foment and foster racial justice. So it's about intentional storytelling. And someday I want to write a book about how we change the narrative on economic justice issues as well and start questioning these assumptions that we all live with, you know, that the market is uh, is uh, knows best. Uh, so hopefully my follow-up book to narrative uh, work on racial justice will be narrative work on economic justice.